It is great to see you. By the way, were these guys not like amazing leading us in worship today? Just unbelievable every week. A new song, you like that? It's great, right? Yeah, awesome. Hey, a few years ago, a friend of mine uh, recommends a movie to me. Uh, it was called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Anybody ever see that? It came out a while ago. Great, there's like six of us. We can have a movie night together. I'll bring the popcorn. And uh, great movie, very sad ending. And uh, I'm not like a big sad endings guy, and so I'm like, yeah, you know, I liked it. I loved the movie, but I'm more of a happy endings guy. And so anyway, so he says, all right, well, then you'll love Gladiator. I, have you seen that? Now, how many of you have seen Gladiator? I said, what, like, great movie, great movie. But I think we could all agree it wasn't the, like, you know, most joyous ending, right? Like, you want him to become, you know, Caesar at the end and take over and... You know, he died. By the way, spoiler alert on that one. Uh, you know, and it's like, it, it, like my, my, I, I talked about how much I liked the movies that my wife, but it was like eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, she bought me both DVDs um, for Christmas, and to this day, it's in, they're unopened. Because uh, I, just, I just, you know, have a hard time watching movies, don't have, you know, nice, you know, happy endings or whatever. And um, so I tell him, I'm like, listen, uh, my friend, I'm like, you got it, you kill, you're killing me. And, uh, and he's like, all right. So, but you've got to go see this movie. You'll really like this one. And I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what the name of this was. But here's this, pretty much the, um, the, the plot of the movie. Um, there's a town where everybody's getting sick and like, people are dying. There's a chemical plant that's like putting stuff in the water, which is why people are getting sick. So like, all these people die in the movie. And then there's a lawyer who takes up the cause. He's going to sue the company. And then he sues the company and he loses. And then the movie ends. And it's like... And I mean, you know, it was horrible. And, and he's like, what would you think? And I'm like, here's what I know. Number one, I'm never moving to that town. Number two, uh, like I'm never, ever listening to a movie that you, watching a movie that you recommend. And he said, why? And I said, because I like Hollywood endings. And I realized that about myself. Like, I like Hollywood endings. I like it when the good guy gets the girl, when the problem gets solved, and when the bad guy gets what's coming to him. And um, so that's why, you know, there's this, been deba- this debate for like 30 years, like, you know, which movie is better, Rocky, or the original Rocky, or Rocky 2? To me, there's no debate. Rocky 2 is the better movie. Why? Because Rocky wins at the end. By the way, if you didn't see Rocky 1, sorry about that. Um, but that's the way it's supposed to end. The problem is, in your life and in mine, life doesn't always give us a happy ending. It doesn't always give us a, a, a Hollywood ending. You know, sometimes the life gives us this plot twist that we don't like, that we didn't expect to happen. Sometimes the good guy doesn't win, seemingly. Sometimes the problem doesn't get solved. Sometimes the good guy doesn't get the girl. Sometimes, you know, the bad guy, it looks like, isn't going to get what's coming to him. Sometimes we want a Hollywood ending and life just doesn't give us one. And this is the problem with the story that we're going to finish today. We've been um, spending the last three weeks leading up to Easter, looking at at the, the story, one of Jesus' most famous Stories, the story of the prodigal son. And uh, in fact, we have been saying that it could actually be called the story of the prodigal sons. Because what we did last week is that we looked at the younger son and how he had taken his inheritance and he was living a very wild life. And eventually he comes to his senses. He returns to his father. He asks his father for grace. And this, this, there's this amazing reunion. There's this a broken family is reunited because of grace. And, and, if, and if we were... Uh, if this story were a movie and we were the producers, this is where we would want to end it, right there. 
right? Because there would be a father and son reconciled, a family reunited, everyone's happy, cue the music, roll credits, it's done. But see, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus gives us this extra piece of the story that is like, no, 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 that's not what I wanted to happen. He gives us this plot twist that ruins the Hollywood ending that we wanted. You see, can I just tell you that um, I, I want my life, you know, we want our lives to be, um, you know, like Return of the Jedi, right? And I'm, sorry, I'm a Star Wars geek. Um, but, <clears throat> but, you know, like, we all want, you know, the Emperor, the bad guy, he gets thrown down that shaft, and then uh, Darth Vader becomes good, the Rebellion, you know, blows up the Death Star, Han Solo and Princess Leia make out, and, you know, it's like, it's, it's a good ending, right? But sometimes life is a little more like The Empire Strikes Back, I remember when I watched Empire Strikes Back with my five-year-old daughter, she was freaking out. And I, I remember that because I remember freaking out watching that in the theater with my dad and thinking, I remember telling my daughter Mia, like, I had to wait three years to find out what happens. She's like, put the next one on now! We need to find out now! What ha-? You know, it's, just, it's like there's all this tension, all this unresolved tension at the end, right? You know, like Luke gets his hand chopped off. I am your father. What? You know, it's craziness that's happening. And it's like, you know, Han goes into carbonite. And, and you know, he, he gets that. And then he has like the weirdest line in the history of movies. I love you. I know. Like, that's what a girl wants to hear. <laughs> yeah, I love you. I know. That's just what happens when people are around me. And, uh, and then it just looks like evil is going to prevail over good. And then the movie ends. And you're like, no, 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 you got you to give me more. And what Jesus does at the end of the story, this is what He does. He gives us this kind of unresolved tension, this cliffhanger, and it's like, okay, and now we're done. And it, it's like, He gives us the Hollywood ending, and then He gives us the twist at the end. It's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I wanted. And see, Jesus, we, one of the things that we have to remember is why Jesus told this story in the first place. He told this story because there were all these people coming to Jesus. All these people with all these wild backgrounds, having lived very, very crazy lives. I mean, there were people that, you know, the Bible says that they were tax collectors and sinners and thieves and prostitutes. and I mean, all the people from all walks of life, all kinds of crazy lifestyles had all come to Jesus. And they were being changed as they heard Jesus' message and began to embrace it and apply it. They were becoming different people by the power of God. But there were these religious leaders who were on the side, and they're like, can you believe that this person, this rabbi, who calls himself, who says that he's from God, would actually associate with these types of sinners? I mean, it just doesn't even compute. that he would. I mean, if he was really from God, he would know what kind of people these are, and he would separate himself from them. But that's not what Jesus did. Instead of separating himself from them, he... Embrace them. And so, as, Jesus, as these religious leaders tried to incite the crowd, Jesus' Jesus's answer, His response, was to tell them a story. And so He wants to drive home a couple of points to the people that are, that are listening, but he, he also he wants to say something to those religious leaders that are there. In fact, I put it in your notes. This is how Luke 15 starts. This is where we'll be. But in, in the beginning of the chapter, it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near uh, to him, Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, 
same. And he tells a story of 99, 100 sheep, one is lost and someone goes to find one. He tells a story of a woman who loses a coin. And then he tells a story of a father who loses a son. And as we get into this section of the, of the older brother, the end of the story, the plot twist, this is the part of, of the story that's directed at the religious leaders. And it's the part directed at, listen, those of us who have been Christians for a long time. You know, next month's going to be 20 years that I gave my life to Jesus. And it's this thing that, listen, I am so afraid of becoming. And those of us who have been Christians for any length of time, that we can actually, we, listen, we need to be careful that we don't become this because it's so easy to become this. And when we do, we actually miss the heart of God completely. We miss the mission of God completely. We miss how we can partner with God in what He's involved in this world. We can miss it completely. So what happens? Look at the story. It's in Luke 15, if you'd open there with me. We're going to start in verse 25, and here's what we read. It says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came near, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to show you about the older brother. Three, as we talk about, this whole series is about finding what was lost. That his, old, his younger son was lost and was found. That he was dead and now he's alive again. But this, this older brother had lost something as well. There's three things in particular that he lost that I want to highlight in our time together. And here's the first one. The first one is this, is that the older brother lost his joy. He lost his joy. Like, there's no doubt that the older brother would be upset that his brother had done these things. Of course he would be upset that he had hurt his father and left the way that he did. But it should have counted for something, the way his father received him. You see, I want you to notice in verse 28, we just read it, it says, uh, or pardon me, in verse 27, he calls this, um, he calls one of the servants, and the servant says, your father, your brother has come, and because he has, uh, your father has received him. Safe and sound. That's why there's this party. Now, this word received is very important in the story because it's, what's, it's the glue that holds this entire story together. That term received is the, um, it, it's the Greek word hygieno. Hygieno, where we get our English word hygiene. And uh, you say, well, he received him. Does that mean like, you know, would he take a shower? He threw him, you know, Irish spring. I mean, is that what, what he did? No. Um, when, we, it, it, when we think of hygiene, we think of just cleanliness, but it's actually more than that. It speaks of wellness. Um, when someone used the word hygieno in Greek, they were trying to translate in a Jewish idea, a Jewish term, a Jewish word that most of us would probably know, a word called shalom, a word that means peace, but a word, a, a, a word not just um, peace, but it, it's, it, it's not just peace meaning the absence of war, but it's peace meaning wellness. It, it's, it's, it's this idea... So when the Bible says, when Jesus says the Father received Him, He's saying the Father is offering peace, offering wellness, offering wholeness to that which had been broken. And this is what made His older brother so angry. See, this kid who had squandered his father's money 
was now allowed to be in the family again. And not just allowed to be in the family like, you know, that weird member of your family, right? Because we all have a weird member of our family. You say, I don't have a weird member. Oh, you have one. It just happens to be you. Um, and so now you say, well, that's not... Well, he's, he allowed him to come back with the robe and the sandals and the ring and all that. And now, I mean, but to add insult to injury, they're actually throwing a party for him. I mean, can I, can I ask you this question? And don't answer out loud because if you do, it'll be weird, okay? This is more on the rhetorical side. Um, there's times for response. This is just one of them because then, you know, you're going to be confessing your secret sin and you probably don't want to do that. Um, like, um, is it hard for you to be happy when good things happen to other people? Now, let me kind of drill on that a little more. Um, is, are, are you, can you be happy... When something good happens to them, but not to you. Like, you know, something great, like someone just gave you a new car. Uh-huh. And, and you, yeah, because the 2011 you had wasn't running well. Uh-huh. Yeah, my 1986 Yugo is doing all right. Well, well, praise the Lord for you. You know, like, can, can, you, can you be happy? Because like, let's be honest. Sometimes, sometimes, it's difficult, right? See, the Bible says this. Uh, it's, I put it in your notes in, in Romans, uh, Romans 12. It says this. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. See, I've found that it's a lot easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, I had a, um, I had a, friend, <laughs> I had a friend call me this was a few weeks ago, and he's a writer, and uh, he, he puts a, he's got, you know, um, he's got a, this book proposal that he's been shopping to different publishers. And he really thought this one was going to go through and this big publisher was going to pick it up. And this was going to be the thing that, like, propelled his career. And at the last minute, um, they passed on it and they rejected his proposal. And, uh, you know, so he calls me. He's, like, totally dejected. And, and, I'm, just, and, I, and I'm, I'm weeping with those who weep. And I'm like, it's okay. I've been there. I know it hurts to get rejected. But you just got to keep going, you know, and and you just, you know, you, you're just see that um, somebody's going to get excited about your book. It just takes time, all that, you know. And um, same week, this other guy that I know um, signs a multi-book deal, huge advance, you know, like the advance is like they give you this big check before you even write the books. And so he gives us, he gets this huge advance. It's like a several book deal, and he tells me all this. And my first thought was like, drop dead, you loser. Uh, that was my first thought. Why? Because it's like, we, you're like, dude, I'm so sorry. It didn't work out. Like, that part was easy. Hey, that's not a multi-book deal. I'm buying a big house. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, now, now what's the problem? The problem is there's all kinds of, like, older brother stuff happening here. And sometimes we can forget where we came from. That God saved us by His grace. And when we don't, listen, this is so huge, when we can't rejoice with those who rejoice, it's because we think we deserve more. You see, we start to think that we're pretty awesome and that God owes us something. And this is the kind of stuff that can make Christians arrogant, rude, and mean-spirited. That we start to believe that because we've been keeping the rules, that God owes us something. You see, we start to think like, well, God, if you see. 
They're doing okay. I mean, it's okay that you saved them. We don't want anybody to go to hell. So you save them and you do okay for them. But see, I want you to do great things for me and good things for other people. Right? So it's like, do the A-plus stuff for me and A-minus for everybody everybody else. Now, once again, we don't say this because that's weird to say, but we think it fairly regularly. And, And the thing that happens is, because there's this idea that we have, that we say, because God, if you're going to bless anybody, it should be me. Because let me just show, give you my exhibit A and exhibit B of all the things that I'm doing right. And based on everything that I'm doing right, you probably should bless me, you know, instead of blessing somebody else. Can I just tell you that that is the worst possible way to live? In fact, can I tell you this, that that, that kind of thinking, that kind of living is literally toxic to your soul? And so what's the remedy for that? Here's what the remedy is. It's radical love. And I'm not just talking about love, or it's radical love. Um, when my wife, my, some of you guys are newer around here, and you see that we have three kids, and we're a happy family and all that. And, um, but what a lot of people don't know is that my wife and I tried to have kids for 10 years before, um, before my, my daughter was born. It was actually just right, um, it was just before our 10th anniversary that, that my daughter was born. So it was nine years of trying before my wife got pregnant, and we went to see doctors and tests and all this, and these doctors, you know, the, 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 it's a weird thing when a doctor says, yeah, I don't know. Like, everything looks fine. You should be getting pregnant and have kids, but something's happening, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. Like, well, thank you for that, and uh, do I need to give you the copay if you say I don't know? Uh, and uh, so, but, that, but here's what happened, is that over the course of now nine years of marriage, all of our friends were having kids. All of our friends were having babies. All of our friends were like, we weren't even trying and we had kids. I just shook my wife's hand and she got pregnant. You know, there's, I didn't even know how it happened. Well, I can tell you how it happened. But, and he's like, well, and so there's this whole thing like, you know, and so you're, you're doing all, and here, what happens? And so now it's like, well, I don't want to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And there's this, stu- there's this thing that can happen in, in you the same way it can happen in me where there's this kind of toxic thing that's living in you and it's, it's like this self-pity and it's this kind of anger that's directed towards that other person. A little bit of anger towards God. A little bit of anger towards the circumstance. And listen, here's what, here's what we decided. And my wife and I talked about this many times, but we decided, I remember we had a conversation one day and we decided that radical love was the best way to live and that we were going to be happy for every one of our friends who were blessed with kids. And that because we are going to, we were, and it wasn't, oh, we're going to be happy, we're going to say praise the Lord. No, no, no. We were going to be as happy for them as we wanted them to be for us the day God blessed us. And do you know what happened? It's the weirdest thing. And it, it, it's, it, it's the most counterintuitive thing. Like you're, you're being, you're excited about what God is doing in someone else's life, which you would think would magnify what you don't have. But you know what happened? When we just, we, we, we just embraced radical love, listen, it set us free and gave us joy in the place that we never thought we would find it. And that's what happens. That's what the older brother doesn't realize. He loses something. He's upset that his brother is there, but he doesn't realize that in the place where he least expects it is where he can find joy, but he won't go there, and that's why he loses it. But there's something else that happens. Look at verse 29 in the story. It says, and so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, and I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. 
And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that the older brother lost. He lost his focus. He lost his focus because he started focusing on the wrong thing and he got stuck playing the comparison game. And instead of rejoicing that his brother was home safely, he was angry that his brother was home safely. And you would think, all he could think was, my brother lived wildly and my dad received him back. I've been here the whole time doing the right thing and there was no benefit. Why does a person think like this? Because they've lost their focus. Instead of thinking, man, what a gracious father I have. I mean, the fact that he would receive my brother and, and restore him just blows my mind at how gracious my dad is. What an amazing thing to be part of this family, to be his son, a great man like this. No, instead, my friends, nothing good comes out of comparing yourself. You see, when you, decide, when you lose your focus and you start comparing yourself to other people, there's only one of two destinations. You are either um, depressed because you realize you don't measure up to that other person, or you're filled with pride because you realize, wow, I am so much better than them. Um, you know, th- there's uh, a few years ago, um, I, get, I get asked to, sp- uh, this is, I don't know, six years ago or so, I got asked to speak at this pastor's conference, and it was like the first big event I ever got asked to speak at. And this was an event that, as kind of like a young pastor or whatever, I I thought like, and as a college student, I thought, wow, someday I'll get the call, you know, to go and speak at this conference, and it's like 1,500 pastors. It's a big deal. And um, and I remember, I remember, I I mean, I can so vividly remember when they called me. Um, I remember what they said. Uh, and they just spoke words of encouragement and life into me on the other line. And they said, we want you to pray about um, speaking this year. And I said, okay, I'll pray about it. Okay, yes, I prayed about it uh, right now. I will say yes right now. Um, and because uh, I've been praying about this for like 10 years. And uh, so anyway, so um, I hung up the phone and I was just so filled with emotion. I mean, I hung up the phone and I started to cry. I never thought that would happen to be asked to speak somewhere. But it was just like the, the, the buildup of, of this. And, um, and I remember emailing a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and we kind of started in ministry together. And, uh, and I, so I sent him an email and I said, hey, I got asked to speak at the conference, you know, the one that we all like, woo, you know, this is the, this is the dream, you know. And, uh, and he responded with three words. Uh, I, and so I, I sent him the thing. A minute later, he responds with three words. I open the, e- open the email and it says this, I hate you. Uh, <laughs> thinking, like, wow, he's a pastor, but he needs Jesus. Um, now, but let me finish the story, like before you think, wow, Pastor Bob has terrible taste in friends. Um, um, a cu- now, I had gotten asked to speak at like a ma- the main session, and it was like, you know, a lot, it was a lot of pastors. Um, two weeks before, I found out that a friend of mine had been asked to speak at like a workshop, because um, they do these main sessions, and then they do these workshops um, in, like in the afternoons. And uh, a friend of mine had been asked to speak at one of the workshops like two weeks ago. And I remember thinking, and it was a whole comparison game. How could he be asked? I mean, you know, what, what's God doing with us? And then with him? And then with me? And I mean, doesn't he know, don't they know? that? And, and I start doing the comparison game, right? And, and so I send him an email when I find out, and I tell him that I'm proud of him, and I'm happy for him, God bless you, and all this stuff. And that's, part of me felt that way. The other part of me wished he had been hit by a bus. And, um, 
But, you know, and, but listen, here's what happens. Here's the thing that happens, what we don't realize. Is that when we have um, envy and jealousy in our heart, um, the problem is not with the person. Right? My problem is not with him. He got a phone call. He said yes. Of course he says yes, because they've asked me and I said yes. See, if we're really honest, we realize that our problem is with God. Because God, if we really believe that God is sovereign, God actually allows this stuff to take place. And so when, you know, someone you know is going on that vacation that you wish you could go on, you've got to think, and so you get upset with them. Well, I can't believe, and that's bad stewardship, and, you know, there's hungry people, and they shouldn't go to Hawaii, and uh, it's probably sinful, and they're probably going to die in a plane crash. And you know what? I won't even cry, because that's what happens. You know? And, uh, and so you, get, you kind of think that, right? And so... Uh, and so you, but you, you, honestly, what you're really thinking is, God, if you had given me a little more, maybe I'd be able to go. You see, and, 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 and maybe, you know, like, um, there's, there's those, those um, folks that, you, you know, we all know people that they can eat whatever they want and they don't gain anything. Like, they can always fit into the pair of jeans that, that they want, and it's like, uh, then there's others of us, like, we just pass by food, and like, that smells good, and like, oh man, I gained half a pound. I just walked by a bakery. You know what I mean? And there's that, right? And there's this whole thing like, you know, God, you could have, you know, like they don't even really like food. I really like, I really like it. It would be awesome if you could just bless me with like, you know, the skinny jean, not skinny jeans, because I don't really like those, but the skinny jean that just, you know, I can eat whatever I want, it doesn't matter. And then he could like not have, he could struggle. That'd be okay. And, uh, and, uh, you know, but then you start thinking like, you know, well, maybe God allowed that somehow. So maybe you could fit into those genes if God had just made you a little thinner. Huh. See, God, I wanted to always play in the NBA, but somehow you made me five foot two. How does that work? You know what I mean? And, and so you, you kind of get upset. And, and, and the thing is this, is that we start to lose our focus. And then we start to think, well, then God owes us. Because we've been way more faithful than that guy. I mean, he, listen, this younger brother, he squandered everything. And they throw him a party. And the older brother's thinking, I've been here the whole time doing what's right. In fact, he's going to tell his brother later, I've been slaving for you, he tells his dad. I've been slaving for you. And you know what? You never did anything like that for me. You see, as Christians, listen, let me tell you how it works. We can lose our focus, and here's what we do, if we're honest. We look at the good things that we're doing, and then we focus in on the bad things that other people are doing. And we say, well, God, look at all the good that I'm doing. And look at them. I mean, they're basically losers. Look at all the, the ways they're messing up. I, and so, God, listen, you got a pretty good deal when you got me. Because look at all the stuff I'm doing right. And look at all the stuff they're doing wrong. So if you're going to bless anybody, it should be me. And listen, you know what the weird thing is in this story? Is that the older brother doesn't even realize that he's doing the very same thing that his younger brother did. The very same thing that he is indicting his younger brother for, he is doing at that very moment. Culturally, when a party like this was thrown and the whole town would have been invited, they're killing the fatted calf. I mean, that could have fed 50 to 100 people uh, culturally. And so they're, they're, everybody's going to this party. It would have been the older brother who would have served all the guests. He, if you go, it's like if you go to a fine, um, a fine restaurant, and uh, it's like the head waiter. You know, the head waiter is the one that's coordinating all the servers. And, hey, why, this guy needs a little more water. And that person dropped their fork. And that person needs their appetizers to come. And they're just coordinating and serving everyone. 
But, then, but see, the, the brother will not even go in to serve because there's someone in there that he's going to have to serve. And there's no way that he's going to go into that party and serve his younger brother, which he would have to do. And so the father has to stand up and walk out of the party. And what we read in these verses, and plead with his older son. Do you understand that culturally, the father standing up and walking out of the party to plead with his son would have been an incredibly humiliating experience? I mean, it would have happened, and, and there would have been like this, um, this, this rush of, of, of people saying like, can you believe that he just got up and getting out? Can you believe this kid? Can you believe what this father has to endure? There would have been all this whispers around the room saying, can you believe what this father has to endure by his older son? And see, what he, the older brother is looking on saying, do you know how much this kid humiliated you and embarrassed you and, and shamed our family when he asked for the inheritance and he left and he squandered it with harlots? But listen, older brother, you're doing the same thing. And that's the problem. Do you know, do you know why? Listen, because my sin on me looks like it needs to be forgiven. My sin on someone else looks like God needs to judge it. Your sin on you looks like it needs to be given. Your sin on someone else, you want God's judgment to, you know, to, 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 to ring down. I found this the other day. I was, I, uh, my daughter had a ballet recital. And I was driving, uh, I left the ballet recital and I was driving to, to my office. And as I was driving to the office, there's this construction and I'm, I get so frustrated with how people drive when there's construction because they feel the need to stop and watch the construction. Like, listen, if you know anything about government construction, it's going to be there for like two years. And all they're doing is putting in a manhole, okay? And so there's just like nothing there. So everybody's slowing down. So I cut around everybody and I go to the, the middle lane and then I get to the light and I make my turn from the middle lane. By the way, kids, don't try this at home. Uh, so I make the turn from the middle lane, and I cut this guy off so bad. Because I thought he, everybody was turning, and so I go around, and I turn too. And he um, slows down enough, because he would, he would have hit me, but he didn't. And so I make the turn, and I cut him off so bad. I mean, totally my fault. And, uh, but I waved. Because as you know, if you wave, that absolves you of all driving sins. So I just like, hey, sorry about that. You know, and then I waved a little longer, because you know, it was a bad one, so I just... You wave a little bit. Peace. Power to the people. And then we just kind of, we kept going. And uh, what I didn't realize is that I'm turning here, but at this light, waiting, there was a police officer. And man, I got so spiritual in that moment. And I'm like, oh Lord, please, don't let me get a ticket. I can't do this. God, please, 10 and 2, drive the speed limit. I'll anoint this car with oil, whatever you want me to do. Please, Holy Ghost, help me. And I'm doing this whole thing, right? And, uh, and I'm, pl- I'm praying and asking God not to let this cop uh, stop me. And thankfully, the cop did not stop me. and didn't even pull over. Yeah, because prayer and fasting works. Uh, I was fasting. I mean, I stopped eating the potato chips uh, for those few minutes. And, uh, and so, I, you know, so I, uh, right? But here's what happens. But when somebody cuts me off, when somebody cuts me off, I'm not praying for mercy. My God, strike down that poor excuse for a human being. Where's the God when you need one? You know, I'm going crazy. And isn't it interesting that I'm not like, oh God, please give them mercy and grace. They don't know what they do. You know, I'm not doing that. 
I'm, I, I want them to get the breathalyzer. I want them to have to do the alphabet backwards. I want them to get tested for DUI. I mean, I want this whole thing. And it's like, it's 8 in the morning. Nobody's drunk at 8 in the morning. I don't care. You know, and you're, just, you're going, I mean, maybe I'm a little excited. But the whole thing is this. It's the weirdest thing <coughs> that when I sin, I just feel like God should forgive me. But when somebody else sins, the same sin, I feel like God should judge them. And listen, this is the very thing that happens with the older brother. We lose focus. And we stop focusing on the fact that God saved me and that, God, that by His grace and that I owe Him everything. And instead, I will start focused. I will start focusing on the faults of others. And then I will start focusing on the few things that I'm doing right. And when I do that, my life will be a complete mess. And I will miss out on the gracious, forgiving, loving heart of God completely. Well, look how the story ends in verse 31. Here's what happens. <clears throat> and, he, uh, and he said to him, the father said to the son, Son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last, the last thing I want to show you. And that is that the older brother lost his perspective. He lost his perspective. You see, the, son, the dad says to him, don't you get it? Everything that's here is yours. You're going to inherit everything. So it's not, I don't need to throw you a party. All of this is yours. And yet it's still seemingly not enough. And let me just tell you why I think this is really important. There's a belief that some Christians have, and I don't know if it's necessarily a belief, but it is something that we practice. And that is that we, we have this idea that the gospel is really important for salvation, but then we move on to other things as we grow. And so we think of the gospel as like the ABCs of faith. Can I just tell you something? That the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian faith. We never outgrow the gospel. In fact, the longer that we're Christians is the more that we should be allowing the gospel to permeate our lives, to mold our lives, and transform our lives. So what I want to do is take a couple of minutes and just show you three areas of life that you would think the gospel has nothing to do with. But the Bible actually says that the solution to this issue is the gospel. Let me, here's the first one if you're taking note. Number one, your marriage. You want a great marriage? Let me, let me tell you this. Allow the gospel into your marriage. Mirror the gospel in your marriage. To the degree that you will embrace the gospel in your marriage is to the degree that you will have a great marriage. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Marriage isn't a new believer topic. Marriage is a mature topic. And Paul says the key to a great marriage, he says, husbands, model Jesus. He died. He sacrificed for his wife, the church, his bride, the church. And now, to the degree that we will do that is to the degree that we will experience a blessed marriage. What, so what's the key? The gospel. Model 
the gospel. Allow the gospel to change you, to shape you, to mold you. Allow the gospel to permeate you. How about this one, number two? Not just your marriage, what about your money? Hmm? You see, nobody wants to be greedy. In fact, very few people see themselves as greedy. But how do we keep from becoming totally self-absorbed and caring only for ourselves? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. The Gospel. It's understanding the Gospel. It's understanding the Gospel in our relationship to possessions, money, things, resources, whatever it is that's entrusted to us. He says, if not, if you don't allow the Gospel in, we will become those possessions will possess us. But if you allow the Gospel in, you will now see yourself as a steward of those things and leverage those things for the Kingdom of God because that's what Jesus did. Let me read you this passage in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's in your notes. He says, Since you excel in so many things, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know how generous, you know uh, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, for your sakes He became poor so that by His poverty He could make you rich. Paul is saying this, if you want to excel in generosity, Look at the gospel. Jesus was rich. Right? God owns everything. God is the creator of everything. Everything is by Him, for Him, in, thing, all, in Him all things consist, the Bible says in the book of Colossians. But yet it says that He emptied Himself, Philippians 2, and became a man. Though He was rich, He became poor. So that you and I, through the cross, through the gospel, that He died, that He was buried, that He rose again, so that we could now be rich in spiritual things. The gospel is the litmus test. And it's for how it's the model for how generosity works, for how you don't have to be possessed by your possessions, but instead you can leverage possessions to the glory of God. So you say, well, Bob, that's okay, I'll give you that. But what about big societal problems? Is the gospel I mean the gospel is, is good personally but the gospel doesn't really work for big societal problems like race relations. You know what does? Because that's the third point, not just your marriage or your money, but your race. What does the Bible say about that? Let me read you this passage in Galatians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul writes. It says, When Cephas, that is the Apostle Peter, uh, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that, their hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting, listen to what he says, they were not acting in line with the truth, of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? See, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the, here's the point. 
The point is this. Race is never an issue for a Christian. Because for one person to think one group is superior to another, here's what the Bible says, it's not in line with the Gospel. That Jesus died, here's what the Bible says, 1 John chapter 2, for the whole world. For all people. That God so loved the world, John 3.16, that He gave His only Son. That He died for all people that were all equal in His sight. And so, this issue it becomes a non-issue when we simply embrace the truth of the Gospel. Now, why do I tell you all this? I tell you all of this because the older brother forgot something. He forgot that our standing with God has nothing to do with keeping the rules. But instead, our standing with God, we have a relationship with God by grace through faith. You see, he wasn't accepted by his father because he kept the rules, even though that's what he believed, and that's what many Christians believe. We, many of us believe that God loves us only if we keep the rules. And if we sin, if we stumble, if we fall, that God does not care for us. And so, listen, so we are on this treadmill of trying to do good, and we're just, and, and not because it's a response to God's love, it's because we're trying to earn God's love in some way. You see, you know what the older brother teaches us? The younger brother teaches us that you can be rebellious and lost. The older brother teaches us that you can be religious and lost. Because his obedience to his father was not genuine love. It was a facade. To, so that he could extract what he wanted out of his dad because he had been doing, he had been obeying, not because he loved his father, but because he wanted to get something from him. The older brother is simply a picture of religion. Trying, trying to obey so God will love me. You know, the gospel, the message of Jesus is very different than that. The gospel is that I am accepted and loved by God through the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I obey. That my obedience to God and your obedience to God is not to earn God's love. It is a response to God's love, not a prerequisite to attain it. So, let's ask a couple of questions. So why isn't it a Hollywood ending? I mean, it's because the older brother didn't really believe the gospel. He didn't really believe that his father loved him because his father loved. He believed that everything was based on keeping the rules and when he kept the rules and he didn't get what, his, what he wanted, his world began to fall apart. But the question that I think about is, why did Jesus end the story this way? I mean, he could have ended it, the younger brother comes home and that's it. But I believe one of the reasons is, not only because he wanted to tell these religious leaders something and show them something about what was in their heart, but I believe he ends the story this way because we get to decide how it ends in our lives. See, is it going to be a Hollywood ending where we are reconciled with our Heavenly Father and there's unity and rejoicing? Or will it be the plot twist that ruins the story and just brings continual pain in our lives? Because we just can't even grasp that God loves us, period. Apart from the striving, apart from trying to earn His love because we've done well, and some of us, if I can just talk to you for a moment. Listen, some of us actually have a picture of God that comes from our dad. 
And some of us grew up with dads that only responded when we did something. Oh, I made the honor roll. Oh, my team won the game. Oh, I, I, I did this thing. Oh, and then there was the response. And the only time we really felt loved was when we were performing. And so we have this idea that maybe God is just a big version of our dad. That he loves us because we've done this, that, or the other thing. Can I tell you this? That your, your father, your heavenly father, is not the magnification of your earthly father. Instead, he is the perfection of what your earthly father couldn't be. That he loves you. Listen. Period. Oh, but he loves me because I... No, no, no. He loves you. Period. Yeah, but then I can start... No, no, no. He loves you. Period. Because Jesus Christ died. Because Jesus Christ was buried and everybody thought it was game over. Three days passed. A stone was rolled away. And my friends, he was alive. And based on that finished work of Jesus, listen, it's not based on what you can do. It's based on what he did. And that is what makes the grace of God so amazing. That it's not that I'm just working and trying and striving to earn it that I've already got it, that you've already got it. And now, whatever we do for God, when we hear what God wants us to do and we do it, listen, it is a response to God's love. Never a prerequisite to earn His love. So when we come to the communion table, it's a reminder that the work That His love is complete. That His love is directed to you. Why? Because He is love. And He has decided that He just wants to lavish His love on you because of what Jesus has done. And so when we decide to obey and when we decide to do what God wants us to do, then it is simply a response to this wonderful, amazing, gracious, incredible, everlasting, perfect See, that's why the gospel is called good news, because that is really, really good news. See, to say, well, see, if you just really work really hard, God might love you. That's not good news. That's not good news. But when someone says, listen, Jesus died for you and he rose again. And if you embrace that by faith, God will change your life and God will forgive you. And he'll set your feet on a rock. And God will take you from death to life and you've been blind and you're going to see. And listen, you haven't been able to walk and now you're going to walk with God and you're going to see Him do things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has not entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love Him because God loves you, period. My friends, that is good news. That is great news. And so we're going to close. And as we do, we're going to take communion. But I, I do have to say one thing before we take communion. And that is, the Bible says this. That communion is for believers. And, and not only that, but he says that if a person takes communion in an unworthy manner, they're actually taking in judgment on themselves, as the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so this is what I invite you. 
If you're here and you're not a Christian, and listen, I want to tell you that we are so glad that you're here. And maybe you're here and you're just trying to figure it out and you're trying to check out the claims of Jesus and decide maybe if you want to become a Christian or not. We're so glad you're here. But when it comes to communion, this is such serious business that if you're not ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, I would invite you to simply not participate this time until you've made a decision to follow Jesus and then we invite you to participate in the fullness of all that we're going to experience now. But there's another thing. Maybe you're here and you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here and you say, I've heard what you've said, I've heard you preach the gospel, and I am ready to make Jesus my Savior. I'm ready to say, hey, I want God to save me. I want God to forgive me. I want God to restore me. I want God to change my life. I want God to forgive my past. I want Him to give me hope in the future. I want Him to give me peace in the present. Then, my friend, if that's the case, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. And afterwards, we're going to partake in communion together, and I invite you to participate to the fullness of all that we experience in the last closing moments of our service. So let's pray together. And Lord... uh, We're humbled by your love. We're humbled by your grace. And God, our hope and prayer is that we would never be the older brother, but instead we would be the kind of son that's always amazed at the kind of grace that you show, the kind of love that you bring, the kind of mercy that you show when we come to you ask you for forgiveness. Lord, we know there are those that are here that really desire to make a decision to follow you. And Lord, that's our desire now. That as they call out to you, that you would hear from heaven and that you would do a work Listen, with every head bowed, with every eye closed as we're praying together. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Bob, today is my day. That I need Jesus to come into my life. I want him to save me. I want him to forgive me. I want him to change me. Um, normally our practices, we invite people forward. But as we're taking communion, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. As we, with every head bowed, with every eye closed. If you say, I want Jesus to come into my life, I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are. say, this is, today's my day. I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to pray for you. And I want to lead you in a prayer as you invite Christ to come into your life. As He changes your life. So if that's what you want, today's your day. I'm going to invite you to stand up. See you in the back. God bless you. Anyone else? Yeah, I'll see you there. See you guys there. God bless you. I see you guys in the back. God bless you. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for those who have stood to their feet. And God, I pray and ask that you would hear, respond, and act as they call out to you. Those of you that are standing, I'm going to invite you to repeat a prayer with me. It's a prayer that I prayed almost 20 years ago. And it has nothing to do with the words, but everything to do with your heart and what you want to say to God. So I'm just going to invite you to say out loud, Just say, Lord God, I open my heart and I invite you inside to be my God, 
to be my Savior, to be my friend. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. For I've decided today to follow you, Jesus, from this day forever. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. So now Pastor Mark is going to lead the band. Um, They're going to um, begin to play as they do. I'm going to invite you to come forward. You'll see there's two stations here. There's a a communion station in the back uh, where you can participate. Now here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm going to ask that you take the bread, that you take the cup, go back to your seat and hold on to it. We're going to participate together. We're going to take the communion elements together. But as the song is playing, can I invite you in this? That this is the moment to really meet God and do business with God. If there is a sin you need to confess, my friends, then confess it. If there is a promise you need to make, I ask that you make it. If there, whatever it is that God is leading you, listen, the, the moment is now that you leave this place and know that you met the Lord here. And that He began to do a work in you. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. The bread that you got probably has some holes in it because it's been pierced. Some burn marks because it's been burned. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, his friends burned him because they took off, they left, they deserted him in the moment that they needed him, he needed them most. And it was that next morning that he was actually nailed, pierced, and they nailed him to a cross. My friends, what kept him on that cross were not nails. It was an abiding and undying love that he has for us. That's what we celebrate partake of the bread together. He goes on, he says, in the same manner he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This cup representing blood that was spilled. His betrayer returned the money that was given to Him when He betrayed Jesus. And He said these words, I have betrayed innocent blood. It's speaking of this blood that the Apostle Peter said, You haven't been redeemed by corruptible things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood Jesus. Blood that was shed for us so that we might enter into right relationship with God through Him. Let's partake of the cup together. And Father, we thank You. We thank You that we can come to the communion table and be reminded of the love, the sacrifice, of your son that he died in our place so we could 
know you, be forgiven by you, and experience you in our lives. That's our hope. That's our prayer, God. Thank you for your unending love. In Jesus' name.